0: You're an all-star, get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star, get the show on, get paid. And all that winters is
1: gold, only shooting stars break the mold. Welcome to another episode of the NRL All-Stars Podcast. This is Barnsley, here for the weekly and Footy episode, episode 7 of the 2023 season of the and Footy episodes. And this week, we have a returning guest, Andrew from the We Got the Chocolates podcast has been on a couple of times before. Andrew, welcome back to the All-Stars podcast, mate. It's always great to have you and you can take a little break from talking We Got the Chocolates, which is a little bit of a different podcast that you've got over there.
0: Yeah, thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a slight change. Uh, we do get a bit of footy stuff in there. uh. Uh, as as much as I can possibly squeeze in there anyway. But uh, no, mate, thanks for having me on. I uh, love coming and chatting buddy. South Sydney fan too, so it
1: has to be said. And we're going to talk a bit of South Sydney this podcast a little bit. So that'll be good. Your bunnies are on yes. fire at the moment. So it is a good time to talk about them. Geez, they look really good. I I picked them for the grand final. Uh, to appear in it as one of the two teams, the other team I won't name because the Roosters aren't going to get there. But uh, <laughs> I did pick them to make the grand final, and I think that they're looking probably the hottest team in the comp at the moment. You must be pretty happy,
0: yeah, especially considering the draw that they've come through the first 10 rounds. Not many, I mean, I don't know how the draw works, but we've played Penrith twice and Melbourne twice, and it's round 10. So that's that's a that's a side issue, but yeah, no, looking good, got through that. Um, tricky part of the draw quite well uh origin's obviously going to be a bit of a challenge losing a fair few troops but no they're, they're, they're going well to be fair they're probably the second best team last year as well but when you played penrith um in the prelim the other side of the draw with the eels and the cowboys was um certainly a lot easier prelim so uh no they're going good always going good and for this
1: podcast everyone if you're listening to this episode, it is a non-Super Coach episode, so you must be into your footy, but if you're into your Super Coach or you haven't given Super Coach ones a listen, we do a Tuesday TLT Super Coach episode, recorded every Tuesday, drop it every Wednesday as well, so you can give that one a listen. But also need to mention the fantastic partner of the All-Stars podcast in Picklebet. Picklebet a fantastic bookie that you may not have heard of because they're a bit newer to the market than some of the other ones. But I tell you what, I started using Picklebet and I absolutely love them. Go to picklebet.com, have a look. They do have some fantastic promo bets this round, one of them being the All-Stars multi-bet of the round. So you go check that one out because I've done a little South Sydney one that I reckon Andrew would like a fair bit where we've got South Sydney Rabbitohs winning 13 plus over the Tigers with Alex Johnston scoring two tries. I think it's immoral, but they're priced at almost $4. $3.85 you'll get for that bet, and I'm all over that one. I reckon it's fantastic. But give Picklebet a go because they are a bookie where you can get better odds sometimes if you shop around, and they do have better odds than some of the big bookmakers as well. Absolutely love Pickle. But when you do it, sign up. Make sure you use our reference referral code. It is all stars, all one word. Use that referral code when you sign up for an account. That way they'll know you're one of our listeners and they'll take great care of you. But Picklebet, jump on, take a look, check out the All-Star Same Game Multi this week. We're going to have another Same Game Multi offer next week. It'll be there always under the offers that Picklebet have for the weekly offers and you can check that out and see what the Same Game Multi is for that week to have a look at. But picklebet.com, go jump on them today. Always also think, is this a bet that you really want to place for free and confidential support? Call 1-800-858-858 or visit gamblinghelponline.org dot A U. Andrew, you, you would love me throwing your bone there with a the South Sydney bet. $3.85. Yeah, and that looks an na-
0: that looks a moral at that price, mate. That's an awesome price. And uh yes, I, I can't say that I won't be jumping on that.
1: I think it's a moral uh, even if, if Souths don't turn up, Alex Johnson's surely got to go over for a try. <laughs> it's uh oh, he's, he's be been a, little bit dry, he a little bit dry this 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 uh year. He hasn't gotten as many tries as what he has in prior years.
0: Mm, it's well. It's normally about this time of the year. I saw something floating around on, on Twitter during the week. Like from about this time of the year, his try scoring record from here till about finals is unbelievable. Obviously, South's starting to warm up a little bit. Um. Yeah. No. That that bet looks absolutely fantastic. I'll be honest.
1: So, Magic Round. I am in sunny Sydney today, but you are up in Queensland. Did you manage to get to Magic Round?
0: No, I didn't. It was my uh, my young fellas' birthday uh, yesterday. So we had a few little bits and bobs going on on the weekend, but honestly, it was just rugby league heaven, wasn't it? It was just people. I had mates left, right, centre, flooding Caxton Street. Um, I heard I think it was NRL physio call it Dad Schoolies, and I think that's such a apt apt term for it. It's just it's rugby league heaven.
1: Yeah, it's a fantastic concept Uh, and look, I have to say like one of the things that comes out of it is that you do get people from all over traveling, which is great to see and you get a lot of people meeting up and stuff and it's not just about the footy, like obviously you've got the great all weekend of footy, it it reminds me of when I was a a young fella, um, we used to have the rugby league sevens and the sevens used to go over a few days. And used to be able to, you know, go for three days or whatever if you want. And it was just rugby league all day non-stop and everything. And it was just great. Like you just, you love being able to watch multiple games and stuff if you love rugby league. And it's a really good concept to allow that to happen across a weekend in one venue. But the other thing too that I think is really good about it is it's an event it's not just about the footy. There's all these other things happening around town. There's all these other things happening around the stadium. There's all these other things inside. There's just there's just so much to do and, and everything. And it, it does always beat the question to me with Magic Round. Like it is so successful in such a short period of time too. We haven't had it for too long, Andrew. I, I really like them to see see the NRL do that more. Like, why can't we get that type of atmosphere and build up around, say, the grand final?
0: Yeah, I, I agree. And there's like there's absolutely no reason for it not to happen, particularly um, I know we're gonna speak about them soon. Like what a what an event to take to Auckland for a second one, maybe uh, you know, post origin, um, in the lead up to finals or something like that, or or have a you know, one in round five or six and then another one um, you know, in, in this time. But it's like you said, the the viewers were high, um, the crowd numbers were high. As you said, as an event, there's people in and around Brisbane everywhere. Um the, the only negative, so I can't believe that they played a game at Suncorp the weekend before. Um, just the only thing with the turf just got a bit choppy when it rained um, later in the week, but they actually played a game at Suncorp the week before, which I found a bit strange. But apart from that, it's, it's, it's such a festival, there's absolutely no reason why we can't have another one.
1: Yeah, well, I think that they have to make sure they give the Broncos a home game every week and have the Channel 9 yeah, game that, every Friday. Isn't that the rules? Yeah, I mean, they've
0: only they've only played 19 at Suncorp this year, so that's not quite enough for them. So, yeah. Uh nah, it is a really good point. They they probably do need
1: to think about that a bit more because, look, I I did reference on the Supercoach podcast, so I don't want to, like, double up a bit. But, you know, I was sort of... Well, I'm from New South Wales. You know, you get, you get a bit of the rivalry and stuff going and whatever. And obviously, the the normal thing is do we keep this in in Brisbane or do we share it around Mm. doing other places and stuff and Marty Lang the old Penrith and and Queensland Marine prop was very vocal about it on Twitter and was like nah it's got it's a Brisbane thing Queensland does it better and all this stuff and you just sort of think oh hang on and then he said oh you know and the weather's always perfect you guaranteed the best weather in Australia and it was like after it said dark on the Sunday, geez, it just pelted down for my roosters. It hailed. It hailed. It hailed. Absolutely it hailed. hailed. And it's like, mate, it can rain anytime. And that does <laughs> yeah. that, that does prove a problem, doesn't it? Because that Sunday, that Sunday pitch, it wasn't, it was not good. It was it was really, really
0: bad. It was a dog's breakfast. And yeah, I was um I was literally sitting down to I'd just finished my yard work and about to sit down and watch that game. I thought, oh hello, we're in trouble here. And It is like old school rugby league days where they're running through mud and puddles are flying up. Is it was from a neutral? I say, okay, whatever, that's fine to watch. But you want to see the footy flying around and on those conditions, it's just it's not ideal.
1: Yeah, you do you do get a few good memories of the old days where all the pitches were like that anyway. Even if it rained two days before, they were all running through the mud and stuff. And it's it's kind of fun to see for a little bit. Um, Nostalgic, very nostalgic. Exactly. And for the games that we had in round ten for Magic Round. Pretty good footy. Um, let's talk about that first game briefly. We don't spend too much time on it because I mean, I will tell you what: the, the curtain raiser, the curtain raiser, the curtain raiser. They started off with the Bulldogs versus the Raiders. It wasn't like it was yeah. uh, let- get the crowd get the crowd flowing and get them excited or anything. I think that that was uh, an interesting one to start with. I thought that the Broncos, the second game, would have actually kicked it off.
0: Yeah, it's. Uh, the, I, I remember the first magic game. I'm fairly certain they had a Thursday night game as well. And it was a game similar to this. Everyone's just oh uh, we'll just we'll leave that one for the weekend. So I like the idea that they've gone like back to just like no Thursday for the weekend. Yeah, look, not the best game. And saying that, the score, like there's points scored at least. So I mean a bit of entertainment for the neutral, but no, not exactly a um a powerhouse start to the weekend anyway.
1: No, it was an interesting draw that they went for. Um having said that, I'm gonna be super controversial here. The Raiders won 34 to 30. The second half is very exciting. And it had it had a lot of attack in it. I actually found myself, like, the 6 o'clock game time slot for me is always a massive bugbear because, you know, I'm frantically at the end of the week type of thing, cooking dinner and stuff and getting things ready and trying to get everything done so I can sit down at 8 o'clock and watch the game. So mm. the 6 o'clock is always a hard game for me to watch very well. Sometimes I end up watching the replays. But with this one, I was like, oh, it doesn't really matter. I'll kick off Magic Round with Brisbane Manly. And Mm -hmm. I'm watching this one while I'm doing things and stuff. And the second half really, really got me in because it was obviously pretty exciting. Uh, And look, 34 to 30, it was good scoring as well. Uh, But I have to say the controversial part, Andrew, I actually was filthy after I watched the second game because the second game I found not very good. And I was like, wow, I, I didn't expect the first game to be the one that I wanted to watch more. So, you know, a bit of props for Canterbury and Canberra. I thought they put on a pretty entertaining game in the end in that second half, especially when it was quite close.
0: Yeah, it's – Canberra sort of come good the last few weeks. They seem to have worked a few things out uh, in and around their side. The four-pack seems to be going good. Hawes was going real good. So it wouldn't surprise me if he maybe gets close to getting picked for Queensland. I don't know if he'll get picked, but he'll be there or thereabouts. But, no, that second game, as you mentioned, Manly, I don't know what's happening there. I know Jake was out, and that's obviously a huge – Thing for their middle and like their defensive resolve and stuff like that, but it just uh yeah, for me, it was it, that would have been a game that I would have been happy to go, okay, watch the first bit, I can't know what's happening here, right, what else is doing. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what's happening with Manly, they're up and down like a yo yo at the moment,
1: yeah. And when we're having a look at that game, I mean, look, it was 24 0 at the half, and you just sort of thought, well, this game's over, Brisbane just absolutely ran rampant. Uh, And then it really fizzled. Like after the 35th minute, there wasn't another try until the 70th. Mm. And you didn't get a consolation try for the 32-6 to scoreline for Manly until the 77th minute. So the second half was just abysmal. Um, And like the possession was pretty even, but the completion rate, like the Seagulls completed at 65%. Um, I've been very complimentary of Daly Cherry-Evans this year. I think that he's had a sensational start to the season, and he really, he was really trying hard, but he just couldn't get anything happening. I thought that he put in a valiant effort, but everything in Manly they just couldn't get anything to come off, and they just had so many errors. And then you have a look at the missed tackles and stuff—38 missed tackles. But the errors between them, right? There were 16 errors for Manly and 12 errors for Brisbane. Ooh. That's quite a few errors, and I'd say out of those 12 errors for Brisbane, most of those came in the second half. So it was an absolute bludger of a second half, and I do think that the 32-6 to scoreline, in a way, flattered Brisbane. I mean, they kind of earned it in the first half with their play, but Manly was just really bad. It was full of errors all the game. The second half, when Manly sort of stuck in a little bit better defensively, Brisbane really had nothing either. Like, I, I thought that it was... You'd think looking at the scoreline, Andrew, that it's like, oh, that's really bad for Manly. But I actually didn't think it was that complimentary for Brisbane either.
0: No, it, it, it might have been one of those cases where like Brisbane sort of just go, like, cueing the rack. Um, we've got bigger fish to fry. Their next two games are cool. Next, actually, three or four games are quite tricky. So it might have been – I know Haas didn't play as big a minutes as he usually did. So that might have had something to do with it. But no, like, when both teams have got double-digit errors, it's not overly – a fantastic spectacle, um, yeah. But it might have just been a case of Brisbane queue in the rack. Um, let's get through to Melbourne and Penrith the next few weeks. But now I don't know what to make of Manly there. Like even like for Aaron Woods to be playing forty minutes at this stage of his career. Like I said, I know Jake was out, but I don't know. He, he's not offering a whole heap off the bench now, surely is he? So uh, I really don't know what to make of them. Yeah, and travovic looked not unhealthy again. Yes. And he made a point
1: after the game, like during the week and stuff to say, no, i am i am a, I'm a hundred percent healthy. There's nothing wrong with me. And mm-hmm. it just seems quite bizarre. Like I don't understand how he's not carrying something just with how he's running. There was a play in this game where you saw him chase, um, Cobo mm-hmm. Cobo went away to run 70 meters and score a try and, Look, it's it's not that he didn't catch Cobo. That wasn't the issue for me because obviously Cobo is an absolute flyer. Mm. Right, he's very very fast. So all fine if Turbo doesn't catch him. But it was just when he went for the chase, it looked like a car that was in second gear, mm. and the gearbox just broke, and he had no first. He, he just he couldn't move up gears, and it was just it was just one of those things where you actually sort of saw him kind of pull up lane a little bit. I thought on that chase and he gave up like, you know, 40 metres, 30 metres before Cobo even was near the line, you know? So I found that a bit bizarre and it's, how do you sort of see turbo when you're looking at his performances at the moment?
0: Yeah. uh, Same boat as you. It's just essentially like, yeah, he just can't get out of third gear. Um, and it's, I wonder if it's a mental thing or a physical thing or a little bit of both. So, if it's just a physical thing, as in, he's just sore and he's lame. Well, I mean, kudos, great effort getting out there trying to help your boys. But I wonder if it's a uh, a mental thing. Hey, I've done X amount of soft tissues and et cetera in the lower half. Do I want to be putting in this, you know, we'll call it a valiant effort to potentially maybe stop a try when the game's already done, or do I need to leave something to take to make sure I get through to the next week? Um, so that's the real trigger. I'm surprised they didn't give him more than one week off after the last one, after the groin, um, because he looked a shot duck, that the game that he walked off the field a couple of weeks ago. And I thought, okay, well, that's a couple of weeks. But he came back in two. So it either can't be that bad or he's putting on a brave face. And I don't know which one it is.
1: Yeah, at this point of the season, it would be it would seem a little bit silly, wouldn't it, to be trying to push him through? Um, for an extra week. I mean, it's he's obviously very important to them. They need him to be healthier than what he is. And the problem is that they've got DCE in Turbo and there really isn't much creativity in that manly side. And I think that we saw that yeah. with how much they struggled to score a try. You know, it was a, it was a garbage time try with three minutes left. And really the you know, the game was well and truly really over, obviously. But a couple of performers from this one as well. Like I thought Carrigan was quite good. Fifty-five minutes was less than he normally has, but he ended up with a line break out of his sixteen runs. A couple of tackle breaks. Didn't miss a tackle, which was big. Uh, I thought that he mm-hmm. uh, stepped up quite nicely. Obviously, Payne Haas was Payne Haas, but he played less minutes. So 21-21 club, 21 runs, 21 tackles is pretty big. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. we, we seem to talk about Rhys Walsh every week. And I know Walsh kind of had a bit of a a a bit of a letdown. Uh, the, the draw got a bit harder the couple of weeks prior. But this week against Manly, you know, you just sort of – I don't want to bring up Supercoach, but as someone in Supercoach who didn't have him, i was been pretty happy lately and I've been okay with it. And then he comes into this one and he busts out two tries, a line break himself, a line break assist. He had 13 tackle breaks. Like it was a, another performance right at the right time after a little bit of a quiet one the week before where it just kept his hand up for the Queensland selectors to keep looking at him. So do you think that, that these performances like that one
0: against Manly are continuing to push him to be the number one for Queensland. Wow, it's such a tough one because I think, I think if Pong is close, they'll pick him. But I think they will have if they pick nineteen, Walsh will be in the nineteen, uh, in the nineteen man squad. That is uh, whether they put him as eighteenth man or whether they just say, all right, Kalen, just give yourself a couple more weeks. Um, we're going to go with Reece. Uh He's certainly playing good enough. To my only concern is with Origin is that. Everyone's a bigger body. The physicality is a lot more. He's only a small body, um, or small, he's not small, but a smaller body. Um, but he's absolutely lightning. He's busting tackles. He's got a great kicking game. Left-footed kicking game is always a point of difference as well. I know we've got Munster, but having that left-footed kicking game is always something a bit different. Oh, he'll do a job for us if he gets picked. Um, 13 tackle busts lots for someone who's you know probably 90 kilos tops. <laughs> That's a lot of tackle, bus. you normally see them for the the big, strong ball runners. He's just so agile and so fast across the turf.
1: Yeah, he certainly is. I think it's going to be a real
0: uh, big question for
1: Queensland. Their, their loyalty mantra will be really tested because Ponga has really done nothing this year, and and Walsh has been pretty sensational for Brisbane. Mm-hmm. Penrith eighteen, Warriors six. Very tight game. Uh, much tighter than what I think a lot of people. Expected. Penrith ended up with fifty-three percent possession too, which you never really want to do if you're playing Penrith. But both teams completed eighty-five percent. So, you know, not very not very many errors. One of the big stats out of this one though that I just couldn't get my head around, and you can see when you're watching it, Penrith had eight line breaks. Warriors had six. You had a fourteen line break game and it was only an eighteen six score line. But they just I know Every week, there's somebody that says, oh, Penrith aren't the same team. They they don't have the attack. And also, there's always the counters as well of, you know, the Warriors have got good defense. And I've kind of gone off both those opinions a little bit this year still. Like, I I kind of – maybe it's because I keep seeing the old Warriors teams in my head that I keep fighting against the fact that the Warriors are this elite defensive unit. But they were good against Penrith. But at the same time, for Penrith, you know, I, I sort of keep thinking to myself, they are still a really good side. The attack's going to click. It's fine. But, you know, this this was a week where I sort of said, you know what, like, I do not think that Penrith have the point scoring in them that they've had in prior seasons. They just don't seem to have the strike or the strike that they still do have out wide. They just don't seem to be able to use it. And, you know, to you, was it more, you know, the Warriors are a really good defensive unit or Penrith are pretty down on attack from what we've seen in prior years.
0: I think it's a bit of both. I've got to give heaps of credit to the Warriors this whole year. They've s- scrapped and scrapped and scrapped and fought their ass back in a lot of games. And they will right in this like two sin bins, both 50-50 at best, to be honest. Um, but Penrith, I think, obviously kick out before the season. That's that's huge. Like I'm not kick out's biggest fan, but it's not so much what he does, but he the more the track he defends away from the other guys. So uh, Tungo and well um, Taylor May last year were getting shitloads early ball. Uh, even Liam Martin's got a little bit more oomph and a bit of punch on the edge as well. Um, I know their edges at the moment, like they're they're. they're very serviceable. They work really, really hard and but they do they offer that same that same impact and bend the line um as much as say a Martin or a or a kick out? Probably not. Um I know Hosking made like nearly fifty tackles again. Like so he's doing a great job, but he doesn't offer that real that oomph, which doesn't free up the space um for the other ones. Or maybe maybe it's just a simple case of like, you know, maybe after three years of dominance teams are starting to work it out a little bit. Um that could be the case, but they're still going to be there. Like there, there's no way they don't make it to at least a prelim. Um Just hopefully, South don't play them in the prelim. We, we get them in the grandy. <laughs> well, I mean, there's a couple of good performers for the Warriors that need pointing out. For Noah uh, Blake,
1: has been an absolute tear lately. Played 67 minutes, mm. which one of the knocks on him at Manly, it was always his fitness, and he's a big fella. So whether he had the motor, and they often played him, you know, sort of that 48, 52 minute range. And it was always yep. a case of he can't play 50 plus minutes, sort of thing. He's played 67 minutes and he's played even bigger minutes the last couple of weeks because they've had people like Tohu out. Um, Mitch Bart- Barnett has um, some problems with his neck. But 14 runs, three offloads, two tackle breaks, 35 tackles. He only missed, he, he actually scored the first try of the game. Line break try first. That would have been like forty one dollars on Picklebet.
0: Well, and he and he he's on a streak at the moment too. I think he's got three or four in his last three or four. He's on fire.
1: Yeah, fantastic performance. And SJ had two line breaks himself, and you know has didn't have the assists in this one because obviously only scored the one try, but he did have two line breaks himself. And it's just one of those things where you saw SJ stepping and running again, which you know even though he's been good this year, a lot of the time it's. Uh, He's ball playing and stuff, but he seems to be running more this mm-hmm. season as well. So I mean he's he's revitalized the Warriors too, which I think was also unexpected. And um and, and even against Penrith, he, he still managed a couple of line busts.
0: Yeah, he's uh, the middle forwards of the Warriors have really stood up this year. And you know, like, like I said, AFB in the last month has been outstanding with the tries and stuff like that. Tohu's been on fire when he's on the park. Um, his, his output when he's actually playing is is incredible. Um, and then SJ, his vintage SJ former, there's whispers going around that he might be going to the Tigers next year, but I'm, surely he doesn't leave. Surely he doesn't leave New Zealand to finish off. He's got to stay there, doesn't he?
1: No, oh, I don't know. When the
0: Tigers come in with a five-year, one point five million oh. a year offer, it might uh, it might be a little bit tough to refuse. <laughs> well, I was going to say the concerning thing is the way they've been going at the start of the year. That people will probably still turn that down.
1: Well. Uh, so we will talk about those couple of controversial decisions in the next topic because the next topic is about the Warriors' explosion from their sponsor and everything to do <laughs> with that and the calls that were made. But the next game, we had the Sharks versus the Dolphins. Now, I went into this one with a few bets on and thought, well, I'm uh, I'm already going to start spending this cash. I reckon the Sharkies are absolutely going to drill the Dolphins. Because the Sharks the week before looked good and, you know, you've got the Nico show and everything, but look, all the attacking stats that the uh, outside backs were getting, it just looked too easy for them. And I know it was the Cowboys, but, you know, the Cowboys have come back this week and beat the Roosters, which we'll talk about in a minute. But mm-hmm. the Sharks beat them 44-6 to and it could have been more. So you just sort of thought, look, yeah, it's at Suncorp, it's a magic round, the Dolphins are battling away well, but the Sharks are just going to have too much firepower. The Dolphins absolutely blew them off the park. I was with my brother-in-law, who is a lifelong Sharkies fan, cried when they won the grand final. He he just loved the Sharks, and he was super confident. End of the first half, he didn't even want to watch anymore. You know, the the Dolphins just went on an absolute rampage and scored 30 points in the first half to none from the Sharks. And the Sharks just looked shell-shocked. I couldn't believe the ease that the Dolphins were going through the Sharks with. And again, it's, it's sort of like that last game. Like, do you give a lot of credit to the Dolphins' attack and how good they are to go up thirty nil at the half, uh, or do you sort of turn around and go, "Wow, the Sharks were actually really poor." I think I, again, like it seemed like it's sitting on the fence, Andrew. But I, I thought that the the tail was somewhere in the middle. I thought that the Sharks mm-hmm. there was some jersey grabbing and oh my God, Matthew Moylan, yeah. he was he had some absolute shockers in defense as well. It was just terrible. So, uh, yeah, the Dolphins attacked really well and played what was in front of them. And, and, you know, some teams won't get that 30-nil scoreline at all. So credit to them. But there was a few of those Sharks players that really had to hang their heads after that first half.
0: Yeah, and I think you hit the nail on the head though and they just sort of played what was in front of them. The Dolphins, like, when someone... If you got asked to describe how did the Dolphins score their tries, like, there's no... I don't think there's, like, a common... Factor like you sort of think about South and like that sweeping left play with Cody to the to AJ or whatever, but the dolphins like a lot stems off Marshall King and then all of a sudden hammers sort of floating in around the middle and then you get you know, some pop off loads out to the edges. So it's all sort of random sort of stuff. So you've got to put, obviously the master coach has got him humming, doesn't he? So um the, on the other hand, the sharks were yeah that first forty minutes, and to be fair, it didn't get much better in the in the second half. They were absolutely shithouse. There's there's no two ways about it. I haven't seen a a good side perform like that in a long time. So I, I I'll be honest. I don't think I'm not sure who the sharks have got this week. I think uh, it's a very winnable matchup, but I I wouldn't want to be playing the sharks this week because I think they'll come out hot up it's, that week. Poor manly, Paul oh, Manley. Oh, good luck, good <laughs> luck. Um, so. If if The Sharks have probably got their asses handed to them at training this week, so I, w- I am expecting a huge bounce back this week, to say the least. It really
1: needs to be. I think it's not a concern if it's just a blip and they bounce back this week. And in the post-match, Fitzgibbon and Hines were both absolutely filthy, and they referenced things like yeah. attitude and uh, not turning up and, and all that sort of stuff. And it, and it really was. like, And you'd expect that that can be changed in, in a week. And if it isn't, then it's an issue. But considering how filthy Fitzgibbon and, and Hines were, and also how much they realised, you know, what went wrong and, and stuff, you'd think that that's going to be corrected. Uh, but look, out of the, out of the performances, how about the fridge with legs? So Val Tafare, jeez, holy, what do a it. debut! He had he had ten runs, but twenty percent of the time he scored a try. <laughs> two line breaks, two tries, five tackle busts. He did it all. <laughs>
0: He looks puffed, a big fella too. After a couple of them, holy, <laughs> he he looks something else, doesn't he? So I, I, he sort of reminds me like of a a, a poor man's talakai or a poor man's hurl or something like that. Like he's just, it's a completely different body shape. He's he's quick enough for a big guy, and you can tell he's just going to bust so many tackles over his career. He could be he could be something else. Um, very very interested to watch how he goes.
1: Yeah, and it's sort of refreshing in a way because you don't see players like him debut anymore. You just you just in the lower grades, they get told that they need to get fitter, they need to lose weight. Mm -hmm. Like the prototypical debutant these days is very athletic, very fit, very trim, and you know he just he doesn't tick any of those boxes. And that's not a slide on him. He's just an old school type of footballer. And sometimes it's nice to see that because you get sick of mm-hmm. you know seeing the robots off the manufacturing
0: line that all look yeah. the same. <laughs> he's uh, he's yeah, very or, different. Yeah, the Jake, the Jacob Preston's and uh, all that type of stuff. They like, said, yeah, you can put him in any side; they'd be exactly the same. Like, yeah, he's yeah. It's it, it was it was refreshing to watch, and like I said, it's refreshing to see as a uh, once semi uh, professional cricketer a, and not an overly fit one at that, um, a, a grown man. Uh, panting and puffing as much after scoring a try, that's for sure. It was funny. It was very funny. Gives,
1: it gives the people a chance. You think you've got a chance still, you know? You get 30, yeah, 35 unfit, doesn't matter. You, you still maybe get to the <laughs> no, end. you're fine. He's, he's, he's a man of the people. <laughs> man of the people, exactly. Conley Lemuelu, uh, I, I referenced the last couple of weeks, I thought that he was really starting to look comfortable and, and starting to play really well. He, he went great again. Three tackle breaks, two offloads, line break try, 25 or 26 tackles. Uh, he is just turning into a prototypical elite edge back rower at a young age. And I just, I can't be complimentary enough of that young man and also what Wayne Bennett's done with him. But we do need to move along to your South Sydney Rabbitohs. 28 to 12, absolutely demolished the Storm, I thought, very comprehensively. Again, the Storm got a junk time try, the 76 minute. Um, It was never in doubt for South. And it's always, I think one of the things with, with your Rabbits, Andrew, is they've got a lot of points in them, but they just have these pockets where they just get hot and they just seem very unstoppable. So, like, you, you've got tries in the fifth and the 19th minute, but then after half time, like, at that point you went, okay, so it's 12-6 Souths at halftime. This could go either way. Uh, and then all of a sudden Souths come out and they score in the 46 and the 52nd minute and the 67 minute. Um, and then this, and then it's all over. Um, but the the tries in the forty six and the fifty second minute, you know, in that six minute period, they just looked really on. And just after that as well, I thought they were going to score again. You know, it just they seem to have these ten minute pockets where it's just a blitzkrieg of attack that just seems really hard for teams to stop. Uh, Alex Johnston got a double, and Latrell Mitchell got two try assists in that one, and also just again been very good at chiming in and doing his thing to just dominate any side that's in front of him. Cody Walker's continued on and kept playing well as well. But it's just that whole South Sydney back line. You you look unstoppable. You play a side like the Storm and you think, okay, the Storm away, it's going to be a bit harder. And it didn't matter. You just played exactly the same as you normally do.
0: Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. Cody's probably playing nearly as good as ever. He seems a, a little bit calmer. As well, he doesn't seem to have that real hot headedness about him as much this year. Um Latrell's right foot kick in that for that first try for Cody, like essentially, I think it was either first pass off the ruck or out of dummy half, it was so loose, it was so so good to watch. Um I think Tass is going really good too. I think he's like with Whiten coming next year, uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do with him. I think he'll end up just going straight to the right wing. I think um, if if they're going to play Whiten at left centre, but now nah, all hands are on deck mate the the they're, they're going good. we've got Colin Tungy coming back in a few weeks, who's been immense this year and the back end of last year. um he probably would have played origin this year, so if we hopefully have got all our forward injuries out of the way, we've had a few to start this year. if we've got all them out of the way, I think we're I think we're humming
1: I think so as well. If you want to know how good South's attack is, like a way to look at it as well is if you look at the numbers, South made more errors than Melbourne. they made eleven errors to ten. Uh, penalties conceded. Melbourne only conceded one more penalty than South did, and then you look at the fact that you know completion rate. Melbourne completed at a higher percentage at eighty percent, to, to South six seventy six percent. You know when you when you're behind on some of those numbers even slightly, but you can win twenty eight to twelve, and that convincingly, it's it's a very good performance, and you can obviously see there's some attack there. The the Tigers and Dragons game. You know, the, the Spoon Bowl. <laughs> I I,
0: I'm,
1: I just I apologise to both fan bases here. But, look, at least the Tigers have won a couple of games lately. So that's a good thing for the Tigers. And it seems to have gotten the media pressure off them a little bit. Um, but, obviously, it's building for the Dragons. And we're going to talk about the Dragons specifically a little bit later in the podcast. But, look, can I just – we're not going to go through it because it just – it. It's Tigers versus Dragons. It, was, it lived up to that reputation and what we thought it was going to be. But can we just look at the fact that at the end of that game, how badly did the Dragons butcher winning against the Tigers? <laughs> oh,
0: my God. Oh, my God. But even, like, the pass, like, like, Hunt did the little toe through, but, like, the pass was, like, in front of him, and he, like, sort of made something out of nothing. Imagine if the Dragons didn't have him. Holy shit. Oh, my God. That would be an absolute bust case. I, I I don't know, mate. Like, what what do you say? Like, what do you say about that? It's it, it's typical of the way they're going that that happens to them. So, uh, uh, my best mate is a dragon supporter, and, like, he just sits there with his hands in his head every weekend just wondering what the hell is going I to happen. I have to say, like,
1: uh, Hook gets a lot of oh, – oh, obviously, he's probably about to lose his job, so he definitely gets a, a lot of the criticism, but – that was just a, that was just a, the all on the players at the end of that game. Like you, if you're a, if you're a footy player, you have to know how to put those passes together and do the basics. And it's just like, yeah. what was it? A, a four on two? Like it was, like there was
0: just that much opportunity there. If you can't yeah. execute that well, then. You... Well, that's, that's not coaching. That's, that's not coaching. And like, who could all the blame for like Sloan um, getting dropped last year and all that type of stuff as well. But like, to a point, it's sort of been vindicated because some of his efforts this year have been very much subpar defensively and offensively. He got pushed aside um, a couple of times last week as well um, in defense. Like, uh, I don't know. Like, it's it's so easy to jump on the it's Anthony Griffin's fault, but sometimes you just got to put the players. You got to put their hand up as well.
1: Yeah, and they definitely do need to for that one because they were abysmal. Mm-hmm. Um, talking about abysmal, yeah. my Roosters were absolutely abysmal on the weekend. 20-6, to 6, they lost to the Cowboys. And look, it's, yeah, I'll, I'll make the excuses first before before I actually put the boot into them for being really terrible. The, the weather the last two weeks has really not helped them. And it has, I have to say, it has felt like a, a Roosters fan that the last couple of years... There's just been, like, you get the injury pile on, but then you have, like, the, the side's not playing very well and you have the whole Sam Walker stuff that happens and, and everything, and the Joseph Sueli leaving and all that sort of stuff. And then you go in these couple of weeks and you're hoping for some wins. You play in an absolute bath the week before where the field just looked terrible and it was just, it, it could not be wetter if you tried over in, uh, over in New Zealand when they played the Warriors. And then... You play the Cowboys on what I expected to be a sunny, nice Queensland day because the days before were, and it hails
0: right before the game. I was going to say half an hour, half an hour before the game. You you were right.
1: It's just, it's just crazy. Like it's you could not you could not write a, a movie about this. Like it's just it doesn't seem real. Like I just saw it and I just looked at my wife and I was like, what is going on? And that I do think that favoured the Cowboys. Like the Cowboys aren't attacking well at the moment. That's a fact. The Roosters aren't either. But the Roosters crave a nice sunny day, daytime game, dry pitch, and that helps the Roosters players and the Roosters style with some of those guys like a Joey Manu and, a, and James Tedesco and some of those outside backs. But it really brought the Cowboys back into it. As soon as I saw that, I thought, we're going to be in trouble. Now, I don't want to take away from the Cowboys, Andrew, because they well and truly deserve the win. And the Roosters you know, only scored in the 79th minute, it would have been 20-0. It, to me, the Roosters' attack was just abysmal. I didn't care that much about the defence, but with ball, you know, 68% completion, how much of that do you go, well, you know, we had 18 errors as well, 61% completion, but, you know, it was you know, really bad weather. You could start to make that excuse. The problem is that when you're watching the game, the attack just was going nowhere. It was just that stale. I thought that Kiri was awful. He's... Kicking, it was either not far enough or too far every single time. Uh, He just wasn't taking control either. And one of the big things that you need, and I don't think Kiri's been as bad as some people have said, you know, in in prior weeks, but certainly lately he has been terrible. And if you're going to take Mm -hmm. a half like Sam Walker out, you, you need to make sure that your seven's very experienced and a veteran, and he is, and can run a team, which you should be able to. But he's got to be dominant. And I'm watching that game just going what's Kiri doing? He needs to be running this side. He needs to be shouting orders. He needs to be directing play left and right. And he's just not doing it. He's just not there. And there was just no attack to speak of. It was very disappointing.
0: Especially when you got Manu at six, who was just a runner. Like he's just an out-and-out runner. Um, And the thing I've always worried about the Roosters, I mean, I know like South's meant to hate Roosters, but like I respect a lot of what the Roosters do. Like you mentioned the kicking of Kiri before. That's why I think they've, not they've struggled the last few years, but like they've had no one in the last couple of years that could kick the ball more than forty-five meters as well. So if there ever are in a game like that, where they're in a bit of trouble, getting trapped in their own end, like you, you, you look at like someone like Cleary from the Panthers. If that ever happens and they're trapped in their thirty, he can just go whack fifty-five meters on the fly and then uh, get him out of trouble. Reynolds does the same for the Bronx, whereas Keary and Walker as well. Like they're not exactly the best ball strikers in the world, um. I thought Angus was good though. He sort of he got a few more minutes over the last. Uh, yeah, oh,
1: it's his best game back by
0: far. Yeah, while, so mate. I think I'm not sure what they're going to do with him with Origin, but he, um, yeah, I think he's easing into it nicely. I think so. Come the back end of the year, and then even Satili as well, they'll sort of start to get their groove back after a bit of a layoff. So I don't think it's it's what's to say it's never as good as and never as bad as I think it is. I don't think it was as bad, but. I mean, Kiri's a six anyway. He's not a seven. So when you've got a Manu who's just a, you know, he's a maverick and he wants to run everywhere and all that type of stuff, like you need your seven to really nail it. And you're right. I mean, I love Luke Kiri, ex- right. ex-Rabbit Luke Kiri, but he, um yeah, he didn't have his best. That's for sure. Yeah.
1: And it's just, I don't, I'm going to just come out and say it. Like Tedesco isn't having his best season but he's probably copying more than what I think he should. Like, I think the criticism on Kyrie is fairly warranted. Certainly a criticism on Brandon Smith, but, I mean, I don't know what people sort of expected as well. But, you know, in that game, for example, Tedesco had a couple of passes that he threw that were just not on. They were terrible passes where he's one of them, he's thrown it to Radley near the mm-hmm. line or 10 out. And Radley already had two defenders basically like giving him a kiss on the neck and he's just got belted and lost the yeah. ball. And there was another one as well in the left-hand corner where he's gone for a try that just wasn't on. And the ball's just gone straight to ground, bouncing off the whoever was running onto it. And it's like, it's easy to just blame Tedesco for those. But the problem is that Tedesco is trying really hard to get himself into the game because if you watch before these last yeah. few weeks or before this season, especially like he's getting the ball with time and he's getting the ball with options. And right now, if you have a really close look, like those two plays in particular, he's gotten the ball with no time, with no space, with no options. Mm-hmm. And he's just trying to make something happen because nobody else is. You know, yeah. like Thierry wasn't trying to make no. much happen. And there's no one else doing anything. Like Marty's running the yeah. ball, but you got to create stuff. And, you know, that was, to me, that was was in a nutshell, it was frustration where Teddy's trying to force things where normally he doesn't need to. And if you had Mm. a better attack and they were attacking better and they had a better structure that game, he would have been able to make a bit more happen. So I'm not as down on Teddy about that game as what I am the rest of the Roosters' actual structure and their attack. Um, But we, we probably do need to talk about the Cows because they've now... Come back from a forty-four to six drubbing against the Sharks and at Magic Round One twenty to six, and I do think that there were signs there. You know, Ruben Cotter played his best game of the season, I thought, and he's been a little bit poor lately. Um, scored that line break try, which was nice, but his work rate was back up, his minutes were back up, and I just thought overall they look like that. That gave them confidence.
0: That's what I thought Cotter. That's what I thought Cotter would be like with no Tawhailolo as soon as he, you know, as soon as he got injured. Basically, um, like he he was outstanding, Cotter absolutely outstanding. Yeah, it's a, look,
1: it's a credit to the Cowboys um, that I think that the Cowboys are going to go on from this and be better. Yeah. Um, whether better means top eight or not, I don't know, and I'm not going to say that. But they do have a nice draw opening up now, so it's good to have some confidence to go into these next couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. The Titans twenty six twenty four over the Parramatta Eels. I don't think anyone expected this one. This this meant that all the Queensland teams won. Uh, I thought that Guth, Gutherson, Sebo, and Brown were all quite good still. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Moses had an unhappy day and also went off injured in the last 10 minutes or whatever. Um, but Kieran Foran scored two tries in the eighth and the 11th minute. I don't think he's ever scored a hat-trick, I think the stat was, and he got very <laughs> close to one. Hey, um, the
0: old the old legs were pumping.
1: The, the Titans were good. Uh, I, you know... I. Don't don't think that the eels were terrible. Um, I thought that the titans, you know, really turned up for magic round, and it looks like all the Queens team teams
0: did. Yes, yeah, Fafita's been immense. Uh, yeah. Tina was massive again. They go, they, they're going. I'm I'm not a titans fan. I, I, yeah, but the, they're going better than I think people are giving credit for. Um, normally they're just sort of shootouts, but like their defense has been, you know, a bit better this year. Like I don't think they'll. I still think they'll miss the eight. I know they're in the eight at the moment, but they're going a lot better than what people are giving them credit for, I reckon. Well,
1: let's move along. We're going to talk about is there bias in the NRL? So this has come off the back of one of the Warriors sponsors claiming that there is bias and leveled some pretty extreme claims saying that that the refs are cheating, basically. And that's opened up a pretty big conversation. Now, that's come off the back of – I think Warriors fans and the club uh, have thought for a while that they don't get the rub of the green, that they don't get some calls. In that game, in particular, on the weekend, it's called Sort of Spurred it. I will say, look, I did think that it was absolutely horrendous that we have a player sent to the sin bin for what amounted to pushing and grabbing a jersey in a melee. That's what it was, right? Like, did, how did you see that? Because I just thought that that was absolutely incredible. And I did have to ask myself in my head, is that because
0: it's Nathan Cleary? You know no that was like i i sort of sit not on the fence so i'm sort of i guess in the minority like i don't i don't believe in like bring the back to beef and all that stuff so i'm more than happy if there'd be no punches thrown in the That no, and that's totally fine that's not a punch that is a a shove with a fistful of jersey and you're right it's into nathan cleary so all of a sudden i mean it's to be fair it, it's a pretty easy target to get with that chin <laughs> um, but, but and it's a it's, immovable chin as well. It didn't even move, he didn't even go anywhere. <laughs> it is, a, it's, a gla- it's a glass jaw. But if that's a punch, um, I I'd, you know, my hair's black and I'm a redhead, like that's that's not a punch. Um, I, I, even the hip drop one, I know the hip drops all the rage and it was all the rage a couple of weeks ago. The board didn't do anything differently to what Cleary did in another tackle, very similar game. One was penalized and sent to the bin, one wasn't penalized or sighted at all. So I, You can't – you don't want to use the word cheat because it's a, it's a pretty sort of dirty word. But you, I think Warriors fans have got enough to be aggrieved about after that performance on the weekend.
1: Yeah, they certainly do. Um, and whether they would have won or not, I'm not sure. But, geez, two sin bins make a hell of a difference.
0: Yeah. Especially against a good side like that. Like, they, they make you pay, Penrith. I know they didn't on the scorecard, but, like, they weren't going to lose – once they add 12.
1: Well, it's even just the field position and everything. And then just like, I think what some people don't understand and like the like, players will all tell you this, anyone that's played rugby league at all, let alone NRL will say, you know, it's it doesn't even matter if the other team doesn't score. If you're tackling your ass off for 10 minutes, let alone 20 minutes in a game, because you're only down to 12, it, it, it takes so much out of your tank. And you see it all yeah. the time. Like you see teams get their, get their 13th player back and you go, all right, well, we're back on here, except like they're buggered. And yep. well, you don't see the attack flowing or anything because they're pretty tired. It's um, it's a big deal. And look, I'm going to have to bring up your South Sydney Ramirez here because I have to say on the weekend in that Melbourne game, uh, the comparison's been made with Latrell Mitchell and how he got treated for what appeared to be striking of some degree on Harry Grant. Latrell had the ball. Uh, and I'm I always get annoyed at the amount that you get Penalized as a defender, like it always Mm -hmm. has seemed for many years to me. That if you're holding the ball in the NRL, you can do whatever you want, and like it was just on full display with that. Like if you compare Nathan Cleary getting a push near his chin and Latrell Mitchell, like really going hard as a big guy at Harry Grant for doing nothing, and then Mm -hmm. like missing. So he went back and made sure that he actually got him in the head. Like oh, I can't believe that wasn't a penalty. But then, when you compare it, and rightly say so, the Warriors are saying, "Well, that, that that's blatant striking." Like to me, that was a that was a bin for Latrell, uh, based on like if I'm running the game, I'm not binning those. I'm penalising them though for sure. But based on mm-hmm. how the game is run and these other sin bins, are, that's a sin bin all day, surely.
0: Yeah, I, I think I think you're right. I would have penalised it. Like I I love Latrell, um, but. I don't know why he does that stuff. Like it annoys me because it's like Latrell, we've got the ball, mate. Just relax, buddy. Um, I don't even know what he was angry about either. I don't even like, and it's like Harry Grant's not exactly like a niggly, malicious player either. It wasn't like (laughs) it was Nelson or something like that who was getting right up in his grills or Worry Hargrave. Like Harry Grant was like trying to tackle him around his hips and he's trying to like push him off in his face. I'm just like just. Let him go. Well, it's all good. Well, that's the thing too, right?
1: Like Harry Grant didn't even respond because I think it was just shell shock. He was like, what's going on? Am I meant to try and fight here? And he sort of did this like after the fact, like went and grabbed his jersey just in case he was supposed to do that. Like he didn't know what to do. And that's that's part of it as well, right, when we're looking at this warrior stuff. Like, that Warriors melee was a melee already, right? you got guys running just, and was, pushing and whatever. It was a push the, and
0: shove. It was nothing, yeah. But
1: the Latrell it was thing just, in context, it, it, there was nothing there. Like, he's he's made nah. that out of nothing. So, sh- like, I sort of think that's way worse. So, I thought it was a really good comparison.
0: Yeah, I I, I didn't really get it. And I think maybe the fact, like, because it's two high-profile teams, they're just like, i oh, let it go, let it go. Let-. I wonder if, like, I don't know, Jereen Buller did that to, I don't know, Jacob Little on the in that game. I wonder if Buller gets a bin. Maybe. I don't know. They're, they're, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very odd one. I, don't, I didn't... Yeah, yeah, I don't know what he was doing. I was sort of frustrated sitting there watching him say, please don't go off the field because we need you to win.
1: So I think that a really good point with the bias and, and the differences in those two scenarios has been made by some really smart media individuals or some that people don't think are smart because it was made on 360 as well. Um, but I actually agree with it and I think it's true and I've said it for a long time. There's a degree in the... like. I don't think anyone cheats, okay? So let's get that out of the way. I don't think any refs are cheating. I don't think any refs are, are, are doing things on purpose to try and get results that they want. I don't think any ref cares. To be honest, I think refs don't want to do that because they don't want the scrutiny. So I don't see any ref going out there and purposely cheating and bringing it on themselves in the media and everything that week and all the scrutiny. The refs don't want that. Refs want to go home and never hear their name talked about. Like, did, are we in a great that refs aren't going out there to yeah. cheat and fix
0: results? No, they, it's their profession as well. Referees, isn't it? So like they, they do want to do a good job. Like, because it's a professional game now and being a referee, like they're getting paid good money to do that. So, and, especially those fringe referee guys, they want to climb the ladder. They want to be, you know, refereeing state of origin. Test matches, like they said. They've still got a professional standard, which they want to hold as well. So, no, I I don't like the the word cheating in regards to that. I think gone are the days. I I don't think it happens anymore.
1: No, I don't think so at all either. But when we're talking about bias, the thing that I do think that was um, astutely hit on the head by a couple of people was you get bias sometimes just because it's a subconscious thing. And part of that is you can earn the right to not get bias if you're Mm -hmm. winning. If you want the rub of the green, if you're a good side and you're doing good things and you're winning, then you you find that you a lot of the time maybe don't get, you know, those bad calls as much. And that's all about winning. So, I mean, like not to put on the Warriors, I'm not saying this just with the Warriors, but with those Mm -hmm. clubs that have been unsuccessful for several years, the way to get out of it a little bit is pretty simple and it's to start winning and running successful clubs. Like, if the Tigers were were run really well and more successful and weren't a basket case, I guarantee that they'd get a few more rubber-the-green calls. The the Warriors are kind of similar too. Uh, The same token as well, you know, everyone talks about how the Melbourne Storm get away with a lot, and they do, but at the same time, they've kind of earned the right because they're a really successful club and they win and they play well. So, you know, it's... It's not great. Like you want everyone treated the same, but it's just a subconscious thing to me. And and you can subconsciously, it's subconscious. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I agree. I agree.
1: Look, let's move along. Rolls firming as Griffin replacement. What does it mean for the red V? So uh, Jason Rolls is firming. Uh, Two weeks ago, it was Ben Hornby, it seemed, but either way, Anthony Griffin basically seems done. What do you think, Andrew, this means for the Dragons? Like, to me, it means it's going to be a full rebuild. Like, I think they've got a lot of young guys that they need to give time to, um, and they need to see what they've got. The Fainai brothers have been coming through forever. Like, for the last five years, they were the next big things. We finally had Lomax dropped and and one of them, uh, Max, put in. Uh, I see that Lomax, Bird, and some senior players, uh, even guys like Kerr and stuff, are frustrated, um, potentially want to leave. If you're the Dragons, like, do you bring someone in and put all the young guys in and just have a couple of years of, of pain? Or do you think, you know, you, and you clean it out a little bit where guys like Lomax and Bird have moved on? Or do you sort of build around those players and try and turn it around quickly? How do you see this Dragons story unfolding?
0: Yeah, that's a real tough one. And I think Ben Hunt's going to be the really interesting one and to work out what he does. I think he wants to stay um, and finish his career there. But like I said earlier, like, I think they would be lost without him. Um, in regards to the young ones, like I said, like Hooks, I, I don't know what to make of Hooks' use of the young guys. Like I said, he was sort of panned in the press for how Sloan was, I guess, treated last year. But let's be frank, he hasn't set the world on fire yet either. I like what I saw from Sullivan on the weekend. He looks like a bit of a goer. Um, that was his sort of first real crack actually playing in the halves. He spent most of his time off the bench playing Hooker. Um I mean, Moses Zemba getting games every week, crikey, I don't know. Um, some young forwards probably wouldn't hurt them either. So if the new coach, whether it is Riles or not, can sort of get that all going, then maybe it doesn't have to be a complete and utter clean out. But there's some dead wood there that needs to probably go. And that's really harsh to say because you're talking about, you know, people's careers here and stuff like that. But... Yeah, Lomax sort of doesn't necessarily looks like he's desperate to be there. Um, you know, you got some plotters in there like Laurie and I don't know, Murdoch Lasilla. Kerr I know is moving on at the end of the year, but you don't know what position Jack Bird's gonna play every week. He's playing Edge and then in the middle and then five eight in the centers next week. So they need to sh- sort their shit out basically. I don't know if it's all Griffin's fault. I'm sure it's not all Griffin's fault, but if the message isn't getting through, then maybe maybe you need to change the messenger.
1: Well, to me, with these senior players, I think the Dragons are going to answer it for themselves. Because if you hire yeah. someone without any first grade experience as a head coach, then, you know, Riles comes in and, and you're, you're committing to a rebuild. The coach has to learn and and build his, his coaching as much as you need to build the roster and the and the team back up. So you can't bring someone like Riles in and just have a quick turn around and just start being yeah, a competitive exactly. top eight team. I just I think that you're making that decision yourself. So I actually think that um, the right move would be to go for the rebuild, would be to get rid of Lomax, get rid of Bird. And someone will take Lomax. He's on a lot of money, but someone will take him. He's got a lot, enough opportunity now, and he's getting older. Bird is older, uh, and he is at times a malcontent. You saw what he said about the fans and stuff, which he yeah. backtracked. It's not the best. You, you don't need he, that. He,
0: he would offer a he would offer a, a good side, some some really good versatility though, like Bird. Like he would he'd be a good number 14. He could sort of fill in spots, but uh, you'd you'd be you'd love to be a fly on the wall in regards to the culture down there.
1: Oh you would and look this is a I, I if I was in charge of the Dragons, I I would I've said for a couple of years I would actually be getting Hasler. And I would have actually, yep. you know, I don't know what Hazler's done wrong, but if, if, you know, they whinge about needing to win and then you get back to being competitive fast and not wanting to rebuild and all this stuff. So you, you've got to go a different direction then. Like the, the Dragons yep. board and everything doesn't seem to want to relinquish control, which is why they're going to get a rookie coach in and that's going to happen because they want to be able to control recruitment and a lot of different things. But that hasn't worked. So to me, it would be like, I'm going to have a one-year turnaround where I'm going to get someone like Des Hasler in, who's turned around rosters before, who's gotten a grand finals and won, and he's a winner, and he does need all the control, and I'm going to give him that. I would do that, and I would see what he could make out of Lomax and Bird and Hunt and these senior players that they've got, mixing with the young guys. I think that's what they should have done. They haven't, and they're probably not going to. Listener's Corner, rounding out the podcast. So this is when we get a question from some of the listeners. Absolutely love talking about some different stuff than what we normally have on the podcast. And this was a great question. I loved it. Who's your favourite league commentator and or best? Not just the current guys, but just like all time. Andrew, I'll throw it over to you. Who's been your favourite to listen to in commentating league or talking about league?
0: Uh, I, I have, like, Rabs obviously is a, is a standout. But if we're talking about the expert commentators, and again, as a Queenslander, this sort of sounds very, like, sacrilegious, but I actually love listening to Joey speak about footy and the way the halves and the the way the bulls should move and all that type of stuff as well. Like, I find that so interesting. And like I said, I'm not a massive Channel 9 fan and all that type of stuff, but I'll I'll love listening to him speak. A few of the Fox Sports guys, I'll be honest, they get on the ear a little bit. I'm not a huge Michael Ennis fan. Obviously, he's got great knowledge of the game, but the the voice irks me a little bit, to be honest. But um, I, I love listening to Joey. Speak about the game, particularly when it's a high quality game and he's, he's speaking about a, a Hines or a Munster or a, a Cleary and just sort of trying to tell us as a viewer what they're thinking and what they're looking at. I, I think that type of stuff's invaluable. I did not see
1: that coming from you. South Sydney. Yeah, it's
0: weird. It's, we, it's weird, isn't it?
1: South Sydney fan, Queenslander, very, very yeah. strange. I, I like to be pleasantly surprised. Uh, yes. we, we, we always need to tip out how it rubs as being one of the best ever. But for me, Peter Sterling. Absolutely nah, Sterlo. love Sterlo. Like, he's we just, all love Sterlow. He's just such a smart man. Like, And he articulates himself really well. Uh and he's one of those guys that when he would commentate, he would only he wouldn't be the main commentator. He'd probably only talk 20% of the time. Uh but what he said was so smart and he gave you such good insight. And I just love the way he reads the game and the way he talks about it. I I, I was absolutely gutted when did you ever watch his show Sterlow? Because I was absolutely gutted when Sterlo got axed and he wasn't.
0: I, I like Yeah, even like even on the footy show, I know that was very you know, satirical and that made fun, mm. but like you'd always listen to him and go, Oh yeah, that makes sense. You know what I mean? And then even the Sunday like I used to love as a kid the watching Sunday like, footy, all, the, yeah. all the Sunday league shows that you know, footy show into boots and all and stuff like that. And you yep. listen to Sterlo and go, Oh shit, you know what you're talking about. But yeah, I, I love Sterlow as well. No. And again, Queenslander. Uh, if
1: Sterling <laughs> could turn around the Queenslanders, then he must have been doing yeah, something right. But he, uh, must been,
0: he must have been going good. I love Sterling. Look, Barnsley Spray of the Week. We're going to have a
1: real quick spray here because it's not going to take very long. Jeez. Rugby Australia chairman, McLennan, absolutely blows up at the NRL and takes another swipe. So he's come out and, you know, laughed cheekily at Joseph Surley, maybe, uh, maybe being released um, and... Hamish McLennan has also gone on to say, you know, rugby league, rugby union players wouldn't be treated this way. Like if you're a star, you, you know, you, should, you don't deserve this, and all this other rubbish. And then he's come out and had a bit of a, a crack at the Roosters as well to say, you know what, like maybe uh, there's something else happening. There must be something else happening here because why would a team want to release someone as good as Joseph Sualee? Like you know, maybe there's a salary cap problem or something. And look, you just think, you know what, like I know it's sort of free coverage and stuff and everything. And sometimes the back and forth is a little bit of fun. But at this point, like someone like McLennan representing rugby, it's just looking really desperate to me. And it's just very, very childish, isn't it? Like it's like an eight-year-old. And it's like, mate, rugby union is behind rugby league. And I'll say, like, I'm a rugby league through and through, but I love sport. I don't want to see rugby union die and burn. I used to love watching the Wallabies when they had John Eels and all those great guys and those fantastic teams in the 90s. Like,
0: it, used to, it used to be an event, didn't it, to go watch the Bledisloe? You'd go to your mate's yeah. place for a barbecue and watch the Bledisloe. And the yep. Rugby
1: World Cup too. Like, I'll watch it as a league fan. Yep. I don't yep. understand um, what, what sort of leadership this is where McLennan thinks that he has to tear the other code down and he's also, he's fighting from underneath, right? It's like you're on your back throwing punches. You're never going to win that fight, are you? <laughs> you know, what are you doing?
0: No. No, it's it's oh, it's such a shame what's happened to rugby, but stuff like this I don't think actually helps. I know they're trying to create some headlines for themselves, I guess, but, oh, I don't know, mate. It's just, yeah, like I said, it's it's a bit childish. League is seems to be pushing all in the right direction. I don't know if rugby's done that in the last few years, to be honest, so.
1: Uh, the head of rugby union needs to be a bit more professional and a bit smarter about that. You can have a couple of little cheeky gap, grabs and stuff and everything, and that's fine, yeah. but don't keep focusing on it because surely you've got better things to do and surely you've got a lot more to worry about in rugby union.
0: Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You
1: need someone with a lot better leadership than that. Uh, so Hamish needs to have a bit of a look at himself, I think, because it's just getting a little bit bizarre now. And what you kind of expect from, you know, Someone who runs a park club with like three, you know, under sixes teams in it, and that's about it because no one else wants to play there. That's that's pretty much what he looks like at the moment. Legend rewind to finish up on the Raging Bull, Gordon Talis. Oh, throw your bone here. He's a he's a Queensland legend, one of the best back rowers I've ever seen. Uh, played second row for the Dragons as well as the Brisbane Broncos. And look, why, why don't you take it away? What are your main memories from Gordon Talis?
0: Yeah, he was actually, like I said, I mean, I hate the Broncos, but he was still one of my favorite players growing up, Gordy. Um, so dynamic with ball in hand and then obviously a menace in defense as well. Like I know Joey said that he was the play that scared him the most. So that's obviously saying something. Um, yeah, just it looked always for me, what it always stood out was how awkward he looked to tackle. Like he, he looked like you'd always catch a knee or a hip or a, you know, an elbow or something like that. Um, yeah, just real. And obviously Queensland captain. I don't know if he ended up captaining Australia, but, you know, played 20-odd Origins. Yeah, like I said, one of my favourite players growing up. Um, yeah, just always looked so damaging with the ball. So scary. Yeah, he was,
1: and you're right. He was, like, all knees and all running at 100%. And defensively, he was just as, as powerful yeah. as well. People definitely didn't want to run at him. It was
0: yucky, yucky. You just look yucky to tackle. It's
1: uh, it's one of those old school ones. You don't get guys like Talis anymore, which is why I think he was so special. Like you don't get guys with that level of aggression and just wanting to go in and just wanting to build everyone. You know, like the Hodgson tackle was a great one where he dragged him over the side. That's iconic in in State Mm -hmm. of Origin, but also just some of the fights and stuff. Like, uh, you know, you can't do it anymore and stuff. But if anyone tried <laughs> to get it over on him or gave him a push or whatever, he'd start throwing them. The Ben Ross one's pretty memorable. <clears throat> Blue with the better prop Ben Ross.
0: Yeah. I don't I don't know if Benny Ross remembers that one, but anyway.
1: <laughs> so quickly on the numbers, dude, 262 first-class games, 88 tries pretty underrated on the try scoring i think everyone saw him as such an aggressive runner that hurt you running but hurt people def- in defense as well people forget that he scored 88 tries in 262
0: games he was fairly
1: agile and fast as well
0: yeah he 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 was just so yeah he, he was so always so, that's my my basic memory of him how awkward he would have been to tackle because he was yeah a strong agile ball runner and also liked to throw his hip into you so yeah just so awkward
1: and three premierships, 97, 98, 2000, uh, World Cup in 2000. Cap, did captain Australia for two tests, mate, so you're on the money there. Um, probably his best year was 98. Clive Churchill winner in 98. And he just... But the, the, the thing that, the context of that, to finish up on Gordy, is one of the big um, things that happened in his career is when the Super League war happened, he signed from the Dragons to go across to the Brisbane Broncos and the Dragons wouldn't release him. And instead of, and he offered to pay out his own contract, and they said no. So he, instead of opting to play with the Dragons, he opted to sit out a year, and then play with the Broncos, which is a massive deal. Like you'll probably never see that again. But everyone was like, "Oh, he's going to be out a year and stuff. How's he going to come back?" He came back absolutely raging as the raging bull, and and got the Dalieh in in 1998. So pretty memorable and um, interesting um, facts there in his career that you'll probably never see happen again either with someone sitting out a year and then just coming back and braining it.
0: No, ex- yeah, he and Choc, he and Chuck Mundine came up and uh, played for the Bronx in the Super Bowl. Yeah, no, you won't see too many people sitting out 12 months uh, unless they've done something naughty, obviously. Yeah,
1: exactly right. And probably the other last thing on him is that I think that it's – the other thing you're never going to see again is he started his career as like the super sub, right? He he, he was off the bench and they kept him on the bench at St. George Illawarra for a while. Um, at St. George, he was, he was on the bench for a while there, but he was seen as one of the best forwards still. And yet he was coming off the bench. You know, the only other thing that reminded me of that was sort of Kirk Gidley when he kept New South Wales from the bench, but that was just yeah, silly. Off the bench from <laughs> only you blo- Only you, blokes can do that
0: though.
1: <laughs> uh, well, Gordon, tell what a career, you know, he's it's, it's one of the most aggressive running and defending second rowers I've ever seen, uh, but also very damaging as a ball runner, which gets forgotten a lot. Um, one of the best second rowers I think that I've seen. Oh, I mentioned Hindmarsh um, as one of my favourite second rowers of all time. Bradley Clyde was a lock, but also played some second row. I think Talus is up there with, with those guys. I, I can't really in the modern era sort of um, uh, pick one or the other, but where are you? Like is mm-hmm. Talus like your number one?
0: Uh yeah, I, I think so. Like high marsh, obviously, like so many tackles, but just more, more the aggressive style of Gordy probably puts him at number one. Ben Kennedy up there as well in in that sort of similar era. Huh. Uh, obviously, okay. I'm, a, I'm a I'm a I'm a Sam Burgess guy as well. So in and around those four, Gordy was probably the most unique out of all of them. Though, just with his the style of play.
1: Yeah, I'd agree with that as well. You, you dropped some really good names there. I love all those guys up there too. Geez, we've had some good second rows in the last 25, 30 years. Oh, haven't we? It's good to watch. <laughs> all right. Well, Andrew, thanks very much for jumping on board. Really love talking footy with you, mate. Really appreciate it. And it's always a good chat. We'll get you on again real soon.
0: Sounds good to me, mate. Looking forward to it.
1: But we Got the Chocolates podcast. Go and check that one out. You can find it everywhere. It's a fantastic show. YouTube, also on um, Spotify and everywhere else. But you can find us, dude, everywhere. Spotify itunes soundcloud amazon also follow us on twitter nrl underscore sc underscore allstars, and make sure you jump on picklebet and use referral code allstars. just one word picklebet.com get on them today sign up use referral code allstars. stars will take great care of you as one of our listeners thank you very much for listening everyone enjoy the football from Round 11. can't wait to chat about it all again next week hey now you're an all get your game on go play hey now you're a rock star the show
0: on get paid